Well, this morning on this Father's Day, I want to continue in our series on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. On Mother's Day, we looked at a mother as a disciple of Jesus, and today we will look at a father as a disciple of Jesus. I know as I was leaving today, my wife asked me, she said, are you going to let him have it this morning? And I said, I have to be careful with that because I'm letting myself have it when I do that. Um, one thing I want all of you dads to know is you can be a great father, but not without Christ. You can be a great father, but not without Christ. This morning we are going to look at Psalm 128. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Or if you don't know how to use a Bible, that is okay. You can just listen. I will read everything that I'm going to share with you this morning. Psalm 128 is part of what is known as the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are Psalms 120 through Psalm, or Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. They are known as the Psalms of Ascent because each year, those who lived close enough, those Israelites, those Jewish people in the Old Testament would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And as they would go to Jerusalem, they would sing, they would recite, they would talk about the Psalms of Ascent. And these Psalms became very precious to them year after year as they would go to Jerusalem and as they would recite these and that they would sing them as a family and they would sing them as a community. When I first went into the ministry back in the early uh, 1990s, a man named Eugene Peterson, maybe some of you are familiar with him. At that particular time, he was probably one of the most prolific writers in relation to pastors. He had written a number of books, about three or four of them in a row, specifically geared toward pastors, and I read every one of them. And I tell you that because he placed a huge emphasis on the Psalms of Ascent. He said they were so special to the people of Israel and should be special to us as the people of God today. Psalms to be sung, to be memorized, to be talked about, to be meditated upon. In Psalm 128, it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall be the man, or thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This message will certainly have something for all of us, but this is geared in a very special way to the dads this morning, to us as fathers. And fathers, what I want you to see in this passage is two major truths and five blessed results. 
two major truths and five blessed results. And so our first point is two major truths. The first truth is this. A man of God fears the Lord. In verse 1 it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. That term, the fear of the Lord, is a really interesting one. If you were to do a word search on your laptop, on your desktop computer, you would find that there are at least 119 references to that phrase, the fear of the Lord. So it is a very important and significant subject in the Bible. And when I hear pastors and Christians talk about the fear of the Lord, I want to say this this morning. Often, we try way too hard to water down the fear of the Lord. We say, well, yeah, it means to respect God. It means to reverence God. And it does mean that. It does. But I think it means more than that. Men, it means that you are to have a healthy fear of God. That the one who controls the universe, who created us and sustains us, who sustains every atom, every molecule, every second of every day, who controls the world, who controls your life, in whose presence you are every second of every day, to whom you are fully accountable, there ought to be a sense in which you fear him. Oh, I know. I know, it says in 1 John 4, 18, that perfect love casts out fear. I understand that. I don't mean that we're to be afraid to come to him or to know him or to love him. I don't mean that at all. But I do think there is a sense in which we fear his greatness. That apart from Christ, that if we did not know Christ as Savior, we would deserve his punishment and his judgment, the full weight of the wrath of God. And even as Christians, even as Christians, if you think you can live any way you want to live, that you can disobey any time you want to, know this, he will, he will bring severe consequences into your life, consequences that will not only affect you, but will affect your family as well. So I think there is a sense in which it means, men, that we are to fear and tremble before God. Because we love him. Because we see what he's done for us. Because of who he is. And we see how inadequate and how frail we are. And we fear and tremble before him. You know what is the beautiful thing about the fear of the Lord? It drives us to the cross every time. It drives us to the cross and reminds us that only because I have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, only because I have received him into my life, am I able to come to God. Apart from that, I would be doomed to eternal destruction. So I am at the cross, and I am so thankful, and I am so grateful, and I am so in awe of my salvation. I stand before him, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. You see, the fear of the Lord creates an insatiable hunger 
and thirst for worship. We want to worship the living God. He has been so good to us, so kind to us, so merciful to us, so undeservedly good to us that our heart is just filled with worship and our mind is filled with worship and our emotions express how grateful and thankful we are. Three verses. Psalm 33.8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. What a great verse. Let all the earth. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Job 28.28. If you're not familiar with Job 28, it is one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible on the subject of wisdom. And it says, and he said to man, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Psalm 96.9, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Now watch this, men. Tremble before him, all the earth. Tremble before him, all the earth. And this doesn't even include verses like Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, or Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It doesn't even include verses like that. Fathers, do you tremble before God? Do you tremble before the living God in a good way because you love Him and your heart is full of worship for him. Second major truth. So the first major truth in this psalm is a man of God fears the Lord. Second major truth, a man of God longs to know God and to obey him. A man of God longs to know God and to obey him. Blessed, verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. You want to know the ways of the Lord and you want to walk in the ways of the Lord. You want to know him, and you want to please him in everything you think, in everything you say, in everything you do. If there is a parallel psalm to Psalm 128, it would be the very first psalm. It would be Psalm 1. Now, I've shared this with you before, so please bear with me as I repeat it again. Psalm 1 is such an important psalm. It is known as the gateway to the Psalter, the gateway to the Psalms. Many, many years ago, I was challenged to memorize Psalm 1. It is one of the earliest passages of Scripture that I ever memorized in my Christian life. And I would encourage you, if you haven't memorized it, that you do at least try. It is very short. And I want to just read for you the first two verses of Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight, notice this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. That's exactly what verse 1 means. That's exactly what it means when it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. A father does not want to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. No, no, no. His delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Fathers, 
Fathers, we want to immerse ourselves in the word of God so that we might know God. We want to immerse ourselves in the word of God so that we might know him, so that we might walk with him, that we might find pleasure and joy in him. This is not simply an intellectual or academic pursuit. It is a passionate crying out for God himself. Oh, fathers, I just want to challenge every single one of us, beginning with me this morning, that when you read the word of God, do it that you might pursue a white, hot, passionate relationship with him. Don't do it so that you can win at Bible trivia. Don't do it so that you can impress people with how much Bible knowledge that you have or how academically astute you may think you are. Those are all the wrong reasons. No, you come to the Word of God and you read the Word of God because you are so in love with him and you want to know him and you want to walk with him. The Bible is just filled with verses that talk about our passion, our hunger, our thirst for God himself. One example, one glorious, wonderful example. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. Some of you already know this by heart. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That's it. That's exactly what is being said here. Oh, fathers, let us pant for God. Let us thirst for him. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Let every father ask this question every day. Let every father ask this question every day. When can I go and meet with God? When can I go and meet with him? Father, I want you more than anything. I want to be in your presence meeting with you. And I want to say this before we move on. Here are two major truths just found in one verse of Psalm 128. Man of God fears the Lord. A man of God longs to know God and to obey him. Any father here can do this. You can do it. And I say that and I often bring this up in sermons because I have worked with enough men over the years to know that sometimes there are men who feel just so inadequate they feel they just don't have the skills of the background to really be a man of God. And so they use that as an excuse. And I want to say to you, it doesn't matter. You may say, you know, I've never been to college. I don't know a lot about the Bible. My wife knows, knows more about the Bible than I do. I'm a slow reader. I don't read well. I'm dyslexic. Guys, it doesn't matter. You can fear the Lord and you can long to know God and to obey him. You can. You may have very little in, in, in a way of intellectual background. Maybe you didn't do well in school. It doesn't matter. You, you can be a man of God. And I want you to believe that with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength this morning that you can be a father who is a man of God. Well, if we follow these two truths, there are five blessed results 
in this passage, and that's our second point, five blessed results. First result, and here's the thought. You do those two truths. You fear the Lord, and you long to know God and to walk with him. These things will happen in your life. They are glorious results. First result, a man of God is honored by the Lord. Verse 2, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. I don't know about you, dads, but I love that last part. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. There's an old saying historically in Christianity about a man who walks with God. A man that you can just see the life of Christ flowing through, we would say this, the hand of the Lord's favor is upon him. Have you ever seen someone like that? Man or woman, you just say, wow, the hand of the Lord's favor is upon that man or upon that woman. It's interesting, the word blessed or blessed is used four times in this psalm. In verse 1, in verse 2, in verse 4, and verse 5. And it has two different meanings. The first two times it's used, it means literally to be happy or to be filled with the joy of the Lord. Blessed are you. You're just happy in the Lord. You are rejoicing in the Lord. The last two times it is used in verses 4 and 5, it means that you have the hand of God's favor upon you. It means you are a favored one. That God is pleased with you that you are like David, that you are a man after God's own heart. And so you put it all together, and it means this, the fear of the Lord and to walk in his ways leads to the joy of the Lord and the favor of the Lord. If you fear the Lord and you long to know him and obey him, then you will experience the joy of the Lord and the favor of the Lord. Let all of us desire to be blessed and, it, and for it to be said that it is well with us. It is well with our souls. Second blessed result, a man of God profoundly influences his wife and children. A man of God profoundly influences his wife and children. Verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Remember just last week we talked about the vine and the branches in relation to Jesus. And I said it is an ancient illustration, and here it is hundreds of years before that, and it is used by the psalmist here. Oh, if a man fears the Lord, if he walks in the ways of the Lord and longs to know him and obey him, his wife and children will thrive spiritually because of his words and his example. And guides, this doesn't mean again that you're spewing out all kinds of Bible knowledge. It means by the grace and kindness of your words and your godly example, you create an atmosphere where your wife and your children can thrive spiritually. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. This is the picture of a vine that is filled with fruit. It has so much fruitfall on it that it is falling out. It is just filled with fruit. Olive shoots, really interesting word picture here. It is of young, young shoots that are not yet fully mature. They're growing, they're developing, but they're not yet fully mature. And the one cultivating them, the father cultivating them, is tender with them 
and instructs them and knows that he is influencing them. Fathers, I just want to pause here for a moment and say this. We have a huge spiritual responsibility to our family. There's just no way around it scripturally. And I want to say something to you in love this morning. If your family isn't regular at church, if your family doesn't come to church on a regular basis, it's your fault. If your family is not invested and involved in a local church, you need to step up to the plate and say, I am responsible. It is my responsibility to make sure that my family is in church. I mentioned The War Room last week, that movie that I just saw a couple of weeks ago. And there's this one scene in there where the older woman who is the prayer warrior is talking to the younger woman who is convicted by the things that this older woman is saying. And she asked the younger woman, she said, does your family go to church? And she said, yeah, occasionally. And the older woman goes, oh. And she goes in the kitchen and she comes back. And she says, so you say your family goes to church occasionally. She said, is that because your pastor only preaches occasionally? And the younger woman got it. Do you think you only need to be under the preaching of the word of God occasionally? In his daily program, the briefing, Al Mohler this week, on Friday, his podcast that I try to listen to five days a week when it is on, ended his program by talking about the enormous impact of a father. And I just want to read what he said. He said, with Father's Day staring us in the face on Sunday, It reminds us that fathers have an outsized importance to the spiritual identity and development of their children. One of the most important determinants, one of the most important predictors on whether or not a child as a teenager, as a young adult, will be a believer is whether or not that child sees his or her father actively identified with and believing and participating in the life of the church. For Christian fathers, this means that our responsibility is to live before our children in such a way that they see us believing in and living by something far more than the world offers. They need to see us living out and believing in biblical Christianity and teaching biblical Christianity to our own children. This does not ensure that our children will be Christians. There is no easy formula. But the opposite is certainly true. If our children do not see us living out biblical Christianity and teaching its doctrines, then we shouldn't be surprised when they have no idea what biblical Christianity actually is. This doesn't fit easily on a greeting card, but it may be the most important message that fathers need to hear on this Father's Day. I want to read one sentence again. One of the most important determinants, one of the most important predictors on whether or not a child as a teenager, as a young adult, will be a believer 
is whether or not that child sees his or her father actively identified with and believing and participating in the life of the church. A man of God profoundly influences his wife and children. Fathers, let me say this. You will affect your wife and children. The question is, how will you affect them? For good or for bad, for God or for this world, you will affect them one way or another. Third blessed result. A man of God experiences the supernatural presence of God. Look at verse 4 in the first part of verse 5. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. In the Old Testament, Zion represented Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where the temple of the Lord was. And Jerusalem is where the glory of the presence of God dwelled among his people. So if you wanted to experience the very presence of God, you took your family and you went to the temple in Jerusalem and that is why they traveled there year by year. That is why they sang the, psalm, the Psalms of Ascent. That is why it says this in Psalm 128, the Lord bless you from Zion. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus dies. He rises from the dead. He ascends to the right hand of the Father and he sends his Holy Spirit to indwell each and every believer, each and every father. And now, now it is different. We don't go to the temple in Jerusalem for our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we can experience the very presence of God right in our own lives. It's what this whole series on discipleship is about. If you know Christ as Savior, you have been yoked together with him. You have surrendered to him as Lord and as Savior. You have Christ living in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The resurrected and living Christ, the God of all heaven and earth, lives inside of you. And men, it is our responsibility to experience that, to know that, to want that, to long for that. That I am in the presence of God every second of every minute of every day. And if you want your wife and children to experience the presence of God and the glory of God, then rise up and show them how. If you want your wife and children to experience the very presence of God and the glory of God, then fathers, rise up and show them how. Show them what it means to experience, to know from Scripture that the resurrected and living Christ lives in you. A fourth blessed result. A fourth blessed result. A man of God will have a passionate heartbeat for the unreached peoples of the world. You're saying, oh my, Pastor Tim, how did you come up with that one? A man of God will have a passionate heartbeat for the unreached peoples of the world. Look at the second part of verse 5. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. 
May you see, that's what he prays, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. I remember the very first time back in 2002 when I first took the perspectives course and them hammering home and really ingraining in my life that throughout the whole Old Testament, Israel was intended to be a light to the nations. Not only was God to bless them and favor them, but they were to be a light to all the nations. temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem was always intended to be a light to all the nations of the world. And that is why when you read in the Old Testament that they desecrate the temple and the people of God disobey God and fall away from him, it is so tragic because not only are they hurting themselves, but they are ceasing to be a light to the nations. I don't know if you've ever learned about the Silk Road or about the Silk Route. It is the ancient route that connected east and west and all the merchants and travelers would travel on the Silk Road, on the Silk Route. Do you know what was right at the very heart and soul of the Silk Road? Israel. The nation of Israel and the temple in Jerusalem. God intended, always intended, his people to be a light to the nations. And that is why the psalmist says, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life so that Jerusalem might be a light to all the peoples of the world. Here's the thought. Here's the thought in our context today. When a man of God fears the Lord, And when a man of God longs to know God and to obey him, when a man of God has the favor of the Lord upon him, when a man of God profoundly influences his family, when a man of God experiences the supernatural presence of God, then that man will, he will have a heart for the nations. He will have a heart for the lost people in his community and he will have a heart for the lost people all around the world. He will want that in his own life. He will want that in his children's life. He will go to a church that places a great emphasis on world missions. And he will want to do whatever he can to give, to send, to pray, to further the cause of world missions all around the world. In other words, a man of God is a world Christian. He cares about the lost souls in every part of the world. He cares that there are still unreached people groups in this world. And so the psalmist says, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Fifth and final blessed result. A man of God will leave a godly legacy and heritage for future generations. A man of God will leave a godly legacy and heritage for future generations. Verse 6, may you see your children's children Peace be upon Israel. Oh, may you see your grandchildren. May you see your great-grandchildren. May you see your great-great-grandchildren. Here's the beautiful part of it. You may not live to be that old. It doesn't matter whether you live to be old or whether you die young. You can see them by influencing them for generations to come. If you are a godly father... 
Fathers, if you are a godly father, you may be influencing people in your family lineage long after you are in heaven. Do you want that? I do. You may be influencing the generations of your family long after you are in heaven. They will be talking about their grandfather, their great-grandfather, their great-great-grandfather, and how he feared the Lord and how he walked in the ways of the Lord. They may not know a lot about you, but they know that you loved Jesus. And that has influenced them. May you see your children's children. May you have an influence that far, far outlives you. You know, we're very concerned about providing for our family financially. We better have a good life insurance policy so that our wives and children will be taken care of if we die, and that's a good thing. That is an honorable thing. But let me ask us this. Are we care? Do we care about their spiritual future after we're gone? Do we care about the spiritual heritage and legacy that we will leave after we die? Because we are forming that heritage and that legacy right now. I want to invite every father here this morning every father here to surrender yourself to the Lord right now to say I am determined in my heart to fear the Lord to desire with all my heart to long to long to know him and obey him would all of you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me let's just take a few minutes this morning fathers right here at this moment in this place you can determine to be the father that God wants you to be as I said earlier it doesn't matter what your background is you can be that man I want to encourage you to pray a prayer something like this father I need you by the power of your gospel to make me into the man that you desire for me to be. I need you to mold me to be the husband, to be the dad you desire for me to be. I give myself to you right here, right now, in this moment. I'm going to give you just a few moments of silence. Oh, dads, Humble yourselves before the Lord. Heavenly Father, our perfect Father, I pray for every dad here today. Give them the spiritual courage to be the father and husband that you have called them to be. Hold them fast in your everlasting arms and help them to know deep in their hearts and souls that they can be great dads who affect their children 
and who affect the generations. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's again stand as we close this morning.